We use traditional and digital mechanisms to market our products and services, but we're letting you fulfill in the way that makes most sense for you at the time that you want to do it. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Sunny Side Up podcast. I'm your host, Tara Quell. I'm currently leading our financial services vertical here at Demandbase. What that means is I'm creating all of our content, our demand gen. I'm working really closely with sales and our customer service team and working, obviously, in tandem with our financial services prospects and customers. I'm so happy to have Melissa Stevens on today, EVP and CMO at Fifth Third Bank. A bank that's actually very near and dear to my heart as it's located here in Cincinnati. So, Melissa, excited to have you and welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Tara. I'm really excited to be here today. And we found out that we are like actually very close neighbors, which is super exciting and such a small world. So we're going to kick things off today with talking about while all of the industries have had to pivot in recent years, there's a lot of school of thought on do we either build or do we improve on our digital environment? It seems like banks have had even more stiff competition in the digital space. So let's start by talking a little bit about how Fifth Third has taken this on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the question. First, it's important in any company and certainly in financial services and for Fifth Third that we've got our core in a really good place. And so the way that we've looked at it is that as you're doing digital and digital transformation, you need to look at opportunities to automate. You need to look at opportunities to digitize processes and experiences. And you need to fundamentally look under the hood at your technology makeup and make sure that you're coming along in the modern world. As we looked at that, we did something that I think a lot of people say, but not a lot of people do, which is we really drove into a strategy of buying, partnering, and building And then we made a strategy for the way we're going to engage with, sometimes compete with, and mostly mostly partner with the fintechs that are out there. So for us, first and foremost, wherever possible, we buy what we can buy. We buy the services. If it's not core to our DNA, if it's not truly something that we need to own all proprietary rights to, we buy it. And I'll take a super easy example. A lot of people use mobile check deposit on a mobile app with our bank and with whoever they bank with, right? Almost anybody could build that software, but why would you? We don't need to build something like that. We can actually buy it from a provider that is the best at it and then keep getting every new product iteration that they get. So we buy and integrate in many cases where it's an important service and an important offering, but it's not core to the definition of the value that Fifth Third brings to market. It's just an important thing to offer. Then there are cases where we partner. And as we looked at digital transformation, we really pushed on the partnership angle. And we found great fintechs out there that we could partner with to bring awesome solutions to market, frankly, at a faster clip and in a way that they keep innovating and investing in their product in their product definition and their product advancements, if you will. We've done that in treasury management. That's a commercial offering for businesses, right? Large corporations, mid-sized corporations, they need day-to-day transaction and treasury management capabilities. And so we offer solutions that are really almost a subscription base where we're managing a service with and for you to handle your accounts payable, handle your accounts receivable, 
use machine learning to know, hey, should I call the person that's 30 days late or should I call the one that's two days late that always pays me that has a larger invoice? And so in those cases, we've partnered with FinTechs to bring the solution to life as a fifth third solution, but to make sure that they're doing all the product innovation and all the advancement of their roadmap. And then finally, we sometimes build. If we think it's unique to our to who we are and the value we offer, we actually find a way to build it from our core systems and supplement where necessary. About two years ago now, we launched a new everyday banking consumer offering called Momentum Banking. It's really for your everyday banking. Think about, I need to get paid. I need to pay other people or institutions. I need to save some money. And I probably need to finance a large purchase here and there, right? A new TV, a refrigerator, a great summer vacation. And so we brought this product to life, but we actually built everything associated with it because it's core to the way that our systems work and the way that money moves back and forth. So buy, partner, build is not just a nice thing to say, a fun catchphrase for a CEO or a CIO to mention. It's actually fundamental to the way that we actually looked at the digital transformation and the need for us to pivot from really large corporation, monoline ways of working, old school ways of working into how do we modernize and pivot quickly and in the ways that are going to bring the best solutions to the customers as quickly as possible. I love that. As you're talking through like buy, partner, build, I feel like historically a lot of financial services don't have the strategy or the framework that you all have. And so they default to building when there's so many other partners or an opportunity to buy in the space. And so my time previously before I ended up in MarTech space was I spent almost 10 years at Fidelity. And yeah, the asset management space changed a lot when I was there. I actually started on the retail side and then moved over to the workplace side. Proud to work on the first robo-advisor and many other projects that kind of changed the way that we thought about digital. And it was an interesting transition to go from financial services where I use MarTech and help build the digital transformation into actually sitting within the MarTech space. And I can't tell you, you obviously know this, like competition is so stiff, but right now in MarTech, it's changing and evolving so fast that it like truly is all about providing great customer service, focusing on your strong brand, making sure that they're clear on your differentiators and what makes you unique and ultimately delivering those really good customer experiences. And I feel like if financial services is doing that and the MarTech space is doing that, like at the end of the day, you'll keep winning those customers back. So it was really interesting for me to hear like the buy partner build as somebody who lived and breathed that within a financial services space. So yeah, so let's talk a little bit about- By the way, thanks for sharing that. That's an awesome share. And actually Fidelity was a great example of that in the time that you were there but you're right. It's like people say it and people think it's easier. People, you'll often hear the conversation. I have to believe you heard it back when you were in that company, but we know everything or we, no one understands the complexities. And I have to believe in institutional, there was a lot of that. And it's not anyone being an egoist or saying I'm more important or I'm better. There just hasn't been a comprehension that given how complicated moving money is, given how complicated brokerage or institutional services is, people really were having a hard time understanding that a new startup person or company could actually drive a wedge into that and truly understand the customer problem. So thanks for sharing that, because I think that's been a challenge that and frankly, any large company has it. And certainly regulated industries have it, whether it's healthcare, financial services, aerospace, defense, but it's hard to get your head around. Wow, an agitator could come in and come up with something that would be maybe even better 
than yeah. what we're doing? And how do we integrate that into our DNA? It's just, it hasn't been the natural way that we all grew up in financial services. Yeah. Yeah. An agitator. That's a good way to think about it. I think there's a lot of, you know, the mindset of being a little bit more risk averse. And then it's like, you have to work through your procurement, your legal and your risk and compliance. They're like, how could we possibly bring on somebody else to do this? But I think if I learned anything in financial services, it was really to bring your legal and procurement folks along for the ride earlier rather than later. It makes them feel like they're part of the journey and they're important and they're not just going to be that person puts things to rest. Yeah. Yeah. So for anyone who's listening, that is key. Make sure you're including your partners early. They will feel valued and appreciated and you will be able to buy and partner with the tools and technology that you need to. 100%. 100%. So cool. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the different schools of thought, whether we're eventually going to get to primarily digital interactions or are we still going to have a need for engaging people in person and how you all have addressed the digital versus in-person side of banking for your customers? Sure. I think there's a lot there's a lot of folks in a lot of industries that'll say everything's going to be digital and nobody's going to interact with humans and I just that's not that's not reality to to me and that's not actually what we're aspiring to do at Fifth Third. We certainly think having more and more digital capabilities, having digital self-service for businesses as well as individual consumers and private bank customers is incredibly important and we look at it like this. First of all, Time is really important to people, right? If you, depending on the survey you look at, most working Americans will say the one thing they need more of is time, right? That can't be manufactured at least yet, right? You have 24 hours in a day. There's only seven days a week. This is how it works. And so anywhere that we can help save someone time so they can get back to the business of work or living or whatever is going on, great. Let's self-serve that. Let's make it automated. Let's make it a digital interaction, a digital capability, et cetera. But then the other flip of it is we really spend a lot of time talking about the fact that money is very personal and money is very emotional, right? As much as we all want to say like it's business, it's not personal. The reality is as an individual, this is your livelihood. This is the way that you are making your way in the world. This is how you're paying your bills, how you're paying your mortgage, how you're having a car that you can drive to get to your job, how you're feeding your children, right? And so money is deeply personal and emotional. And the same is true if you're running a company, right? If you've got that small business on the corner, your cash flow, your ability to take money in from customers to get your supplies, to service them and to pay your employees is really important. So for us, it's really about what's that blend of digital and human And how do we bring the best of that human connection to life? Because it is an emotional topic, right? People don't spend a lot of time talking to people they're close with about money. I think in my life, the probably only exception to that is after 18 years in Manhattan, I would certainly say we all talked all the time about the price of rent. And we often talked about the price of the co-ops people were buying, right? But that's an anomaly. That's not what people generally sit around and talk about. And so understanding first that money is deeply personal and very emotional means you have to have places where someone can come to a trusted advisor, to a thought leader, and not just for those just general emotional conversations, also at a moment that matters, right? If you've got a major life going event going on, you probably want a little knowledge and expertise from somebody. Or if you have something terrible happen, right? If somebody steals your identity, or gets into an account of yours, 
calling through an calling through a system and waiting for some computer robot to talk to you does not give you peace of mind, right? Your part, your heart is racing. Your breath might be a little bit shallow. You're worried and you need a real human. So for us, we definitely believe more and more digital, more and more automation, but we also aren't hiding the human. We want the human connection to really be what I call the hero of the story. We want you to feel that we're there with you every step of the way. And digital is there so you can operate in your channel of choice, but also so you can get the super easy things done. And then when things are great or when things are hard, there's always going to be a human there that's got your back. Yeah, I could not agree more. And I think somebody coming from the asset management space, I don't know if either one is more complex or both complex. And the fact that people are still, there's so much work to be done with financial literacy and teaching our kids. And I'm still learning every day on what are the things I need to be thinking about? How do I save for my kids' college? Am I doing the right things for retirement? And I'm pretty close to wanting things like all digitally. But to your point, like when I have specific questions, like I want to talk to a human, I want to talk to a person. It's important for me to make sure that like, I'm on the right track and I'm doing the right things. I just had to replace my fridge. I just got a new fridge. And it's like, who knew just could be so expensive. And to that point, it's like, it's funny because a lot of people say everything should go digital. And to your point, you want to get to human. Like when you're making a decision to get a new fridge, I'm pretty sure if there were, if there was plumbing that was involved, if there's wiring, because you're going to have something that obviously needs electricity, you might have an ice maker or an ice chopper or the water distribution thing. You might be getting one that uses Wi-Fi and can show you what's in your fridge and has it like all those things. But you're probably not just like completely randomly deciding that everything works in your house. If you need a new plumbing line so you can make the water dispenser work in your fridge, you probably didn't just decide on your own that the water in your house works properly. You might install it yourself if enough about that, but you're probably going to consult a real human being. And I think we often in financial services say, people start to say, we can all be digital because they break it down to, I'm just going to send you money because we went out for drinks last night. It's so much more than that, right? There is expertise. And to your point on asset management, there's so much that's complicated and it's hard for people to understand. And in some ways, like, No one really ever wants to go like on a diet when they want to lose weight. Just like nobody wants to get up at 5 a.m. to work out. Most people, some do, to lose the weight. You don't want to have to make a really big financial plan, even though you know you need to get the results you're looking for. And the human is that coach and that partner that helps you in your life to get there. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a perfect segue for us to talk a little bit about how this applies to marketing in general and how thinks about How do you market prospects and existing customers digitally and physically today? Yeah, great. You're right. It's a great pivot. I'd say two things. One is on the institutional side or the business and commercial banking side, we certainly offer a lot of things and we have ways for people to contact us digitally, but we're really all about elevating those relationship bankers, those relationship managers, those institutional or asset management folks to actually really be the ones that are making those connections. Because it's not about like marketing a product or hawking a product or service. It's about understanding that business's needs, understanding those institutions' needs and bringing them thought leadership, bringing them great partnership. And so in that case, we spend more of our marketing capacity, if you will, helping those bankers, those managers, those relationship managers, if you will, to really be able to have the conversations, to have the information and the materials so that they understand and can unearth, if you will, in a conversation, what the needs are of the client they're talking to, and then bring our solutions to life. 
it's nice if you want to put an ad in a trade magazine, and I'm not going to claim I haven't done that before as a marketer, but it's much better to actually bring the person with the expertise to the table. Now, if I flip to the consumer side and I'm getting you to get a credit card with us or a savings account or something of that nature, we really work hard not to force you into one channel. So we do the traditional things. We're out there in digital. We're out there in paid search. We're sending mail to people's houses. We're doing all those things. But for us, it's really about channel of choice. If you want to complete that digitally and you qualify, great. All the way straight through digital, no problem. You can scan a QR code on the paper that you got and go straight through right there on the app and apply and get your account number and you're off to the races. If you want to come in and talk to somebody in the branch or get on the phone, that's great too. And we put that as a mechanism, right? Obviously, it's more efficient for us if you do it all yourself digitally, but we're not just about the efficiency. We're about actually building a relationship. We don't want a credit card with you or a checking account with you. We want a relationship with you and we want to help you on the things that you are just referencing, Tara, right? I want to be saving for my kid's college education. I want to make sure I have the money when the fridge breaks down. I want to make sure I'm doing all the right things. So for us, it's heavily channel of choice. We use traditional and digital mechanisms to market our products and services, but we're letting you fulfill in the way that makes most sense for you at the time that you want to do it. Yeah, it's interesting being on the flip side now and like sitting within the MarTech space. We're always thinking about this almost from the reverse, right? Like how can we better help our customers? How can we provide thought leadership to marketers and sales folks on like how they can use our tools and service better? Right. For me, it's I feel like it really comes down to providing quality data and insights and making sure to your point partnering and having those strong integrations so that in turn, folks can find like the right people at the right time. They can engage them in the place that they want to be engaged in and help them really progress through their journey. It's very similar to how you all are thinking about it. It's just from the stack side of things and technology and how can we enable you and your team and other teams to do their job better to help their customers. Really cool. And that's a better conversation, right? I'm sure as you do it with prospects and with clients, it's like I, if someone wants to come and sell me a solution from a MarTech standpoint, that's not really of interest anymore, right? Because I don't know how that's going to work with everything else I'm trying to accomplish. So if you take the time to understand what I'm trying to solve for my company, you can bring a much more robust solution set, but you could also bring a lot of knowledge and expertise. And I think, as you just said, like that's critical because that's the leverage point that we all have with each other. We can all Google something and read a PDF or a couple of website pages, right? We need the conversation to understand the complexities of what we're solving for. Yeah, absolutely. We just had a long conversation about this, that it can't just be about a point solution anymore or just a feature. Like, what we're doing really has to ladder up to the business value and the goals of a company and making sure that like we're helping our customers reach those goals and be successful. So yeah, so let's talk a little bit about like what you would recommend to our listeners who are looking to learn more about digital transformations. I think especially in financial services, I'm seeing it more than ever. Large enterprises like yourself, like you're already on a strong set journey, but there's so many smaller, more regional banks, other startups, fintechs who are just figuring it all out. So how would you talk about that as it relates to marketing? Yeah. Thanks for asking. For some, this will sound odd. I think from the conversation you and I are having, it'll probably resonate with you. I actually think it comes massively down to the why, the how, and frankly, the people. It's always about the people. 
And so as we embarked on this journey, I spent, we spent a lot of time and I'll give a tangible example. We spent a lot of time talking internally to understand why this was important, right? Like we're not just doing a transformation because it's like buzzworthy to do a transformation or because new leaders came into the company or we're doing it because we're understanding the sands are shifting out there and we've got to fit ourselves for the future. And so I would suggest to people when they want to learn more about it or read about it or think about how do you start getting into it? It starts with really understanding what the competitive environment is. And for me, the competitive environment is not just the bank across the street or the bank around the corner. And it's not just the fintechs that are now in our space. It's really starting with what is the last best experience that your client had? And if I use the world that you work in nowadays, it's, it doesn't mean it's something to do with marketing technology, right? It might be they had an amazing experience at with, with a return with Amazon. It might be they had an awesome experience at a car wash. It might be that fantastic Disney vacation that they took their children on, right? But if you understand first and foremost, what are the great experiences that are out there? That's then you how you understand the mark or the bar that people are gonna hold you to. And if you then unpack from that, how is that making it a great experience? What you usually find underneath it is technology, process, and people. And that's how you can really then take a look at what would it take to be like that? How might we be like that? And then you can do the side-by-side comparison to the way that you exist today across tech, people, and process, and then start making the modification. So as silly as it sounds like to some people, I spend most of my time thinking about and reading about things that are totally outside of the day-to-day of financial services. And that's how we started our transformation. The second thing is you spend a lot of time, like I said, on the how and the people. It's really, at the end of the day, there's a lot of psychology to it, right? Why would I change the way I'm working? As Our animal instinct to change is fight or flight. So you got to really unpack that organizational change management. You got to create the case for change. Why would I do anything differently? Because seems like it's working, right? And so helping people to understand that things are evolving. And even though it's working today, Five years from now, 10 years from now, it might not. And getting that case for change to be much more of the heart as much as it is the logical mind is a lot of what I spend my time doing. I've had people say things to me like, sometimes I confuse what you're doing with how you're doing it. And then I'll say, that's because how I do it is part of what I do. And it sounds really trite, but that sincerely. The other thing is they spend, we spend a lot of time as I, and I would suggest people do this. I'll give one book example, but we spend a lot of time not trying to get enamored with whatever the thing is. Don't get enamored with the shiny object or the tech that's out there or the cool way, right? I've been an agile methodology practitioner for a long time and I'm a huge proponent of agile. But anytime in my career, when everybody who knows nothing about what I do starts using all the terminology, I know we're not in good shape, right? Like I know that like when people started talking API and they didn't know how to define that it means an automated programming interface, that scared me. We're not here for buzzworthiness. We're here for facts and we're here for driving things. I, on the design team that I lead, we have this fun book club that the user experience team pulled together and I somehow forced my way into their little group. And we read a nonfiction book and then a fiction book and we rotate every yeah. other month. And not too long ago, we read this book. It's out of print, but you can get it on digital things like Kindle. It's called The Best User Interface is No User Interface by Golden Krishna. Oh. It's a really short book. It's out of print. You can buy it for a lot of money, but you can also get it digitally. But here's the thing about it. If you come back to what to think about digital transformation, he gives this fabulous example 
that is about getting obsessed with the shiny object. And the example he uses is about then you're going to drive your car, right? So what, what do you need to do as you're walking to the car in the Target parking lot? You need to get your key. You need to unlock the car and you need to get it and drive it, right? It's three steps. And nowadays, like you've got a key fob, it might do it automatically when you get to the car, et cetera, but it's essentially three steps. And as people started to do apps for vehicles, they started to develop all these ways to do it. So I just told you it's basically three steps. And if your key fob just like your car knows that it's near it and just opens it, great, then it's only two steps. But then we created apps, right? And in the app, if I'm walking to my car, I now need to get my phone out of my pocket or my purse or whatever it is. You're and already apps. Yeah, exactly. And then I need to open it. So I've got to use my face or my finger and get that open. Then I've got to search for my car app, right? Which I do this and I've got to do that. Then I've got to authenticate into that app. And then I've got to find the lock unlock button. And then I need to be in near enough range to my car that the car will open. Yes. All while you're holding everything, right? So roughly speaking in his example in the book, it's 15 steps. Is that better? Did I make a better experience for somebody? So oftentimes as people start out on digital transformations or marketing transformations, the with the idea of better, they make 15 steps out of what is currently two or three. That's not better. That's not transformative. That's actually in reverse. And so using the best interface as no interface as an example, I'm just a big fan of not holding the mirror to yourself and not taking yourself too seriously, because when you find yourself getting off on those types of things, you might accidentally make it worse and you might make more process steps, more technology needed, more systems, more people. And it's supposed to be the opposite. Tara is supposed to be easier, simpler, quicker, et cetera. Absolutely. So I love how you started to touch on it's pretty easy to like bring the new idea to life and to bring new technology to this space. What I think the hardest part about being in financial services or any organization where you're trying to bring a digital transformation to life, whether that's manufacturing or healthcare or whatever industry it is, is really all about the change management. Anytime that I started something at Fidelity, getting the buy-in, building the business case, getting the money, getting legal and procurement, those were actually like the fairly easy things to get <laughs> What was hard, to your point, was the change, right? Like, why would folks change if everything was working the way that it was working? And I spent a lot of time with folks talking about the why and how this was going to help and what we were going to do, but like really starting with the why. And I just thought that was really interesting. And I think for personally... It really starts with also like a strong data foundation and making sure that tomorrow's tools and whatever you're implementing, like all of that is really going to depend on quality data, like more so than ever. And I think yeah. well before you begin adding to like your MarTech stack or whatever stack you're focusing on, like you should have your strategy and a strong like bedrock, so to say. And then from there, you can bring on things like third-party intent and marrying those signals with your first-party data to make sure that like you're giving the ability to prospect and nurture to customers along the way. Actually, my favorite part about being part of like Fidelity's transformation was looking at the very manual processes and thinking about, wow, this is causing so much pain internally and externally. And how can I find a better way to do that? Whether that's through design thinking, journey mapping, automation, CMS, chat, like you name it, there's a million ways that marketers can really help solve those digital problems for them. I loved how you were talking about agile and like the shiny object and 
I think one of the best parts about Agile is that you can have a backlog of items and you have priorities and like maybe those priorities need to shift. But at the end of the day, like you have this thing that you're marching to and you can always bring people back to say, hey, this is where we are. Yeah. If you want to change this priority, then other things are going to have to shift. I yeah. feel like financial services, everyone was like, this is 1A and 1B and 1C. <laughs> No, really, we can only have one priority, everyone. So uh, true. You hear that all the time. So true. It's the joke of we only have three priorities, but they all have 17 sub bullets. Like, no. Yes. <laughs> so true. Awesome. So, yeah, we love to finish with fun questions. I know you already recommended a book, but is there anyone yeah. who you would recommend we bring on the show or a favorite podcast, maybe an article, anything that you read or come across recently that's interesting to you? Oh, sure. Thanks for asking that. So a couple of things. An amazing, talented former colleague of mine who I think is just so fascinating and interesting. And I don't think you've had her on yet, but her name is Devika Metrani. And she's currently the CMO of, of a healthcare, of a hospital system in New York. Oh. New York She's just amazing. She's worked at American Express, worked at City. The way that she applies some of the things you just talked about in terms of positioning and marketing and bringing the technology and the systems, but also in her case, you've got constituents, you have customers or constituents who are the doctors and the nurses and the practitioners, but you also have the end cl customer and client, right? So there's just a lot of cool things there that, that I think she offers and that she has. And I'd say from a reading or podcast or book, to your point, I shared one of them. I'm big and I'm big into, as I said earlier, the why and the people part. I'm a huge fan, as many are, of Simon Sinek. I find your why, right, of the golden circle, of always starting with purpose. And so I'm a pretty big follower of Simon Sinek's practices and teachings. And I'm a recent follower of the power of positive psychology and the okay. practice of positive psychology. And I think the psychologist that started that is Martin Seligman, S-E-L-I-G-M-A-N. But it really is about the fact that we spend more time, even with our children, if I, I know you have young kids as I do, we spend more time telling them that the thing that maybe didn't go wrong and talking through what could be different than we do talking about the good thing they did and how they felt, how they behaved, what they were thinking when they did it. And the idea is you can rewire your brain into positivity, into optimism, into being one of those people that is honestly, continuously, genuinely happy. If you focus more from a psychological standpoint on positivity than on diagnosing somebody with something wrong. So I'd say those are my quick ones is Simon Sinek, positive, and then all things Simon Sinek, and then positive psychology and Martin Seligman. Awesome. Thank you so much. For all the listeners out there, you can find us on the Sunny Side Up podcast. Melissa, how can folks get in touch with you after the podcast? Probably the best way is LinkedIn. So I'm Melissa Stevens one, the number one. So that's how you can find me. I'm the one with really, really curly black hair that's turning gray these days in the profile picture. Awesome. Thanks everyone for listening and look forward to hearing from you all soon. Thanks again. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Base TV. 